0: First scripture from Luke 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And Mark 4, 33 and 34. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. We're talking about story and actually some things that I'm writing right now for pastors about story, and I'm sharing them in this sort of sermon format. Stories do something to us. They, they suck us in. They move us emotionally. A shared story can build a community. Conflicting stories can start wars. As children, we learn the joys of once upon a time and the invitation of a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Children can listen to the same stories again and again, just like adults can watch their favorite movies over and over. Stories can be an escape from the real world, but they can also teach us about the real world. They can shape the world around us. If something happens to us, we are driven to tell others that story. If I asked who you were, you could give me some facts, but eventually I would have to know your story because we're storied beings. Our stories define us. We are living and creating a story. We naturally tell and hear stories. Now, when I say story, a lot of people tend to hear myth, like a fake story, as if facts are facts, and stories, well, they're kind of not facts. But really, there are certain things in this world that only story, only metaphor can tell you, like love. There's facts about love, I guess, but if you had to explain why you fell in love with somebody or what it felt like to be in love, what it means to be in love, it's hard to describe those things without story. So it's not a lesser. It's just a different kind of truth that comes from story. Story has always been a part of how people learned ethics and built connection. They're key for remembering information. People would gather after the hunt to tell stories and to share and to learn from one another's hunts. They're in songs and rituals and painted and on cave walls and on pottery. But in the last 500 years, our culture has moved away from story. The rise of the Enlightenment in the 1500s marked the downfall of stories. With the invention of the printing press, you didn't need to remember as much. You could have things written down. More importantly, in the 1500s, the, the actual thinking of humanity started to change. And uh, the, the Enlightenment saw story as, as this lesser kind of, of information than fact, than scientific method that was developing, right? And so what we try to do is ignore stories. And we, we call this um, objectivity. And if we could just get objective and look at things from a scientific perspective... We believed that, that the world would get better. We sort of bought into this large meta-narrative, and it sounds kind of like this, that uh, science is good, that progress is inevitable, that the more we know about the world, the better people would be. Technology was destined, and science was destined to improve our lives. And, and to get these metaphors to work, or these meta-narratives to work, We we had to ignore our stories. We had to we had to be objective. Okay, we had to ignore the science, the the stories of people, and and just make them into uh, into stats. Make them make them into uh, test subjects. Whenever my teacher Len Sweet says, whenever you try to be objective, you end up making people into objects. But you, you would try to do that. You would try to study people without their story and ignore your story. You'd have to put aside your biases to study. In theology, this showed up in more increased suspicion towards the Bible. Scholars assumed that the text was untrue and treated the book as a historical artifact rather than a document of faith. Um, they, they, they took the, the, the idea of theology and doctrines and divided it up into its subsequent parts. And uh, work more critical of faith rather than understanding it as something that we live in a loving action of God towards the world. The focus of the worship service went from the Eucharist or communion to the sermon, the explaining of the facts. Most evident stating for the church is that I, I think we lost sight of this, the story. And in fact, many people don't even know the grand story of the Bible. Now, modernism brought some wonderful things. The Enlightenment brought some good things. Medicine, surgery, knowledge about how people in groups work, exploration, travel. Uh, My my dad has an issue with his eyes that even 20 years ago he he would have been blinded. But now they have treatments that have been developed for his eyes. That's modernism. That's science. And there's a lot of good that came out of that. But in the end, these, these promises of modernism and the Enlightenment, that the world would automatically get good, that the better we became, the more we knew, the better we would become, didn't quite pan out. In the last century, we had the, in the United States the Great Depression, two world wars. In the world, Hiroshima, the brutality of Auschwitz and Nazi Germany. We still faced problems of poverty, ethnocentricity, and racism. And in the 1970s, this all sort of hit. With Vietnam, Watergate, the Civil Rights Movement, the assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr. and JFK, that people lost their faith in the inevitable progress and the hope of the scientific method. In other words, the claims of these men and narratives of the Enlightenment have failed, and really they're now being abandoned. Okay, this knee-jerk reaction has come to an almost obsessive focus on personal stories. This is why Facebook is popular. You can go online and see the minutiae of one another's stories, right? And I, I don't know that I care as much about what you were cooking for dinner last night, but, but that's what Facebook like Facebook just shows. Like, this is my story. This is my story. Um, and you can share your story on Facebook or on Instagram or any of those, right? We, we've, we've had this reaction back towards story. We don't just want to see movies. We want to see the behind-the-scenes stories of how they were made. Sports and, and news outlets uh, share backstories of who people were and how things came to be. Now, ESPN does documentaries of all these stories of sporting events. You can see stories on the rise in books and conferences and and, and sort of a conscious cultural consciousness. This movement is, is leading into in new fields and into existing fields. Doctors are now trained in medical school to listen to story in, in some of these medical schools. Because don't you often want the doctor to be able to listen to your story? And you want to tell them what happened, and the, but, but they don't want to listen to how the injury took place. They just want to treat you like an object. See, doctors are being trained in this. Lawyers are being trained in story for opening and closing arguments. There are narrative approaches to therapy, to brain injury rehabilitation, I mean, all kinds of, of things are happening, and story is on the rise in business literature. Biblical studies and theology are seeing some similar changes. We all of this to a guy named Carl Barth, who, who started in his, his approach to the Bible to not say, he, he wouldn't say that he wasn't a Christian and, and look at something academically. He wanted to look at the Bible as a, as a book, as a person of faith. And so, so as the culture is seeing this rise and this crescendo in this idea of story, the church is starting to see that too, though slowly. We've had trouble, I think, in the church seeing our faith as a story. Now our hymn writers thought it was. This is my story. This is my song. We have a story to tell the nations. But, but somewhere in modernism, the Christianity lost its sense of story. We, we made it a sense of doctrines, of facts. It's like that, uh, that musical, Thoroughly Modern Presbyterians. I mean, Presbyterians were, were born in modernism, in the Enlightenment. We were born into this logical sense. And yet at the same time as Presbyterians, we also have roots in Celtic Christianity, which is much more oriented towards story and towards symbol and towards experiencing things rather than just thinking things. We need to get back to, to that sense of story. Because we all want to live in stories. We all want, want to experience stories. We all want to be a part of a story that's important. And, and because we're physical beings, we want to physically embody our stories. Yeah, we we, don't, want to just, we just don't want to just hear stories. We want to be a part of a story. I love this quote by, uh, by missionary Leslie Newbigin. He said, the business of the church is to tell and embody a story. What the church is about is telling and embodying a story. And embodying is is the key word here. One thing to tell the story was another thing to live the story. That's why the Christian faith is so much about practices. We pray, we read Scripture, we come to worship, we pass peace, we sing, okay, because we're meant to embody the story. That's why communion is so important, because we're actually embodying, taking into our bodies this story. Okay, embodying is important how we approach stories, right? You, you, you don't need to tell me if you're a Star Wars fan. I can probably tell if you have a Star Wars shirt on and a Star Wars keychain, and when you get a text message it sounds like R2-D2, you, you might be a Star Wars fan. See, we want to physically embody our story. Around here, nothing tells this more than Steelers fans, right? Um, you don't have to work to pick out Steelers fans. They're decked out in their Steelers gear. They got stickers on their car, flags in their yards. In fact, you're not just a fan. It, we have signs that say "This is Steeler Country," and if that doesn't sound like it's starting to get a little bit like embodying an almost religious system, I've seen all kinds of things that say, "I bleed black and gold." Bleed black and gold. That's that's an embodiment. You identify with the Steelers as part of your your being. You embody them. It's more than a team you cheer for. It's like you're a part of them. And, and when they do bad, you, you get depressed. Right? Um, that's embodying a story. And that is what we as people are driven to do. Our clothing is is our is critical to our story. It's, it's the costumes. And that's why certain brands make certain, for certain things. Wearing Old Navy is different than wearing Abercrombie and Fitch. Okay, wearing a Guns N' Roses t-shirt is different than wearing a Justin Bieber t-shirt. Okay. Those are different stories, and to wear those shirts is to embody those stories. Now, you can wear a hat, but, but what kind of hat? What shape is the brim, and what fa- way does the brim face? Right? We're always embodying some kind of story, even if we're not thinking about it in that terms. We're, we're trying to live out a story. This is the entire pickup industry. Okay, I, I know so many people that have pickup trucks that they won't even drive them in the rain because they're worried about what it'll do to the pickup truck. It's a pickup truck. The whole Humvee industry is like this. You buy a Humvee and you won't drive it in the rain. Think about, think about Ram trucks and their slogan. Mayor Sam Elliott often does it with his growly voice. Guts, glory, Ram. What they're doing is selling a story. It's not just selling a truck. It's if you want to be the kindest person... That that it has guts and glory. You need a Ram truck to fit that story, and I've never heard that testimony. Like, I used to have no guts and barely any glory, and then I got a Ram truck, and it all kind of fell together for me. But still, they're marketing a story. A friend, I was teaching some some of this stuff with story, and a friend told me about her son who was going to go buy a car, and and her son had cerebral palsy and had just gotten his license. But, he, but he, he, and he was trained on how and licensed to drive with his hands. So he was going to go out and buy a car that then they could convert to being able to drive with his hands. And he found the car that he loved. It was, it was the car that he was looking for. He knew it. This is a car he had to have. And his mom did not like the car because the car had obviously been through a fire. Like, the ceiling was was wrong, and the, there was none of that foam at the top of the engine. I mean, there's all kinds of signs that this car was seriously damaged. And as we talked about stories, she started to realize, oh, my goodness, my son sees himself as damaged, and he's getting a car that fits his story, right? Now, sometimes we buy for the story we, we feel we're in. Sometimes we buy for the story we wish we were in. Like, that's the midlife car crisis, Right? I'm, I'm 50, but I wish I was 20, so I'm going to buy the car that I, I, the 20-year-old that I wish I was would own. See, we're embodying stories. So, so what story are you embodying? What story are you living into? Is it the Jesus story, or is it a story of, of everybody else's opinion? Is it the story that your mom and dad always tried to tell about you, and you're trying to live up to it, or you're trying to live the opposite of what your parents wanted you to be? What's, what's the story? What are the practices, the actions? What are you doing to embody the stories? And, and, and if I looked at your life, could I see the story that you're in? Why is this so important? Because, because I think our culture, there's so much talk in the church about how do we reach young people? How do we reach this new culture? How do we speak to the world that we're in? But I think the world is moving more and more towards story. And that's our native tongue. That's the st- that's the language of our faith. The problem is, we're not speaking our language. We're not in touch with our own story. We're not. We don't see our faith as an embodiment of a story. And so, when we go to talk to this world, we're talking out of the enlightenment instead of out of the rich depth of our faith. And I do, I do believe that that this part is such an important part of our faith. This idea of story. Let, let me try to make this drive this home with with a story about a border dispute. So there's this border dispute, and uh, you're not allowed to bring anything from, from one side of the border over to the other, but the police find out that there's a guy who's, who's bringing stuff over the border. So they find out where he's going to be, and they, they, they come and find him, and he has a wheelbarrow full of dirt. And he's bringing it over, and they, they come and they, they search through all the dirt, and they search him, and, and they all you, know, all you have is dirt. What are you going to do? Arrest a guy for that? So they have to let him go. And then a couple weeks later, they find out he's going to be doing this again. And they they find he's got this wheelbarrow full of sticks. Well, there's sticks on both sides of the line. So who's to say where those sticks came from or didn't? And this goes on. And eventually, they just can't catch this guy. Years later, they're at the pub. And this guy walks in. One of the police officers sees him and says, Hey, I got to ask you. Like, what were you... Like what were you and the guy's like, no, I don't want to get in trouble. They were like, no, we're retired. That border is not even under dispute anymore. What were you sneaking across the border all those years? And he said, "All right, I'll tell you. Wheelbarrows." He said I was. I brought wheelbarrows, and I found if I filled the wheelbarrow up, you would be so focused on what was in the wheelbarrow, you didn't even think to ask me if the wheelbarrow was mine or if I brought it or not. See, I think. I think. Story is like the wheelbarrow of our faith. It's how we learn our faith. It's how we learn our faith as children. It's how our Bible is written. It's how Jesus comes telling stories and changing stories. It's, part, it's, it's so essential. And when we drop the wheelbarrow, it's like we're, we're missing out on something central. We're overlooking something that's core to our faith. God chose to reveal himself in story form in the Bible. Jesus come telling stories, changing stories. And and I think that story is essential to the gospel itself. It's the wheelbarrow of the good news. And we've got to get in touch with it as story. The medium is part of the message, which means story is fundamental to our faith. So what story are you embodying? How are you embodying the Jesus story? May Jesus, the great storyteller, write your story.